Good morning. It is good to have you here today at the Flint Central Church of the Nazarene. As you know, we're in a new sermon series um, called the Itty Bitty Sermon Series, and we're using words that end with the suffix I-T-Y. Um, and so last week we started off with potentiality, and we'll be each week looking at another I-T-Y word uh, and using the life of King David kind of as our our biblical source for all of this. I'm really excited about um, November 4th on that Sunday. And during the announcements, if you were paying attention, you, you heard that on November 4th, that's the end of D-Now weekend, and we're going to have just one morning worship service at 10.30. Before that, we're having an all-church breakfast. It's going to be at the peak at 9.30. Then we'll come over here at 10.30. That, the ITY word for that day is community. What better thing to do than eat together and then we'll come over here and we'll celebrate communion together we'll have baptisms that day if you've never been baptized that's a great day to 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 participate in that and it's just going to be a great great day and we're going to be rolling out a couple of new things they're secret can't tell you yet but on november 4th we'll let you know and that's going to be a great 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 day you'll want to be a part of that so that's what that's kind of the the roadmap for the next little bit but today so last week was potentiality and we started in, in 1 Samuel 16, and we talked about both Saul and David had a lot of potential. Both Saul and David were from good families. Both Saul and David had, uh, the Bible tells us were good looking. Both Saul and David had, had a lot of potential. God's anointing was upon them. Samuel anointed each of them. And, and we're told that Saul was prophesying for God. We're told that, that David had God's spirit upon him. Both all good, good things. Both had a ton of potential. But only David lived into that potentiality. And Saul, as you know, if you know that story, you know that he did not. And the question from last week was, was who do you see in the mirror? Do you see a shepherd boy or shepherd girl or do you see a giant killer? Do you see someone who's going to take that potential that God has given to each one of us and squander it like Saul? Or do you see someone who will take the potential that God has for us and like David, kill giants? What's it going to be for you? Well, that was last week. Today's word is integrity. And before we get into the biblical portion of that, I want to tell you a story that I read, a story about Bobby Jones. Now, if you know your golf history, you know that Bobby Jones was at one time considered the greatest golfer. Some still consider him the greatest golfer ever to have lived. Greater even than than Tiger Woods or, or Jack Nicklaus. Bobby Jones won all four major tournaments in one year. No one has ever done that. He won 13 major championships in his life, and he retired by the age of 28. I think I would like to have retired by the age of 28. I guess that's way past my time. But maybe one of the most interesting stories about Bobby Jones was the 1925 U.S. Open. In the 1925 U.S. Open, uh, what happened was Bobby hit a shot, and it went right to the edge of the rough. And he went up to, to size it up for his next shot. And as he was getting ready for his next shot, his club inadvertently just... Now, Bobby turned himself in to the marshals. Said, my, ball, my, my club hit, hit the ball. None of the marshals saw it. It's not like today where there's, you know, a million camera angles on every golf shot if you watch the golf channel or something like that. Nobody saw the, his club hit the ball. They asked some of the spectators who were around. Nobody saw it. And, and so I guess we're just going to... And he said, I know it did. And as a result of that, he got a two-stroke penalty. 
What's interesting about that is that Bobby Jones lost that U.S. Open in 1925 by one stroke. He could have easily justified. No one saw him hit the ball. No one, no one knew that he did it. He could have justified and said it really wouldn't have made any difference. The ball didn't really move. It just was kind of brushed against by his club. Afterwards, reporters came up and were asking him about it, and he didn't want them to write about it. He said it would be no more, you might as well praise a man for not robbing a bank and write a story about that. You know, I think that's a pretty interesting story. Too often, you know, you may have heard the, the, the phrase, too often it seems like athletes today live by the motto, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. But Bobby Jones understood something very important. One golf tournament was not worth damaging one's character. And God calls us to live by the rules too. Whether that's the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount or any place else in God's word that you want to start. He calls us to refuse to compromise the absolute truths, and there are absolute truths, of the faith. It might cost us in the short term to not cheat on your taxes, to not tell that little white lie to your boss or your spouse or your parents or your kids. But in the long term, In the long term, the things that matter, when we do the right thing, when we refuse to compromise our integrity, we'll be the winner. That's a lesson that David learned. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Samuel 24, and that's where we're going to be at today, 1 Samuel 24. I love this story. I love the hideout. In 1 Samuel 24, David is hiding, and I love the place where he's hiding. The Bible says this, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. That's not what's exciting. You wouldn't want to be in the desert. So Saul took 3,000 able young men, all from Israel, and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now that sound like an interesting place, the crags of the wild. It sounds like something you would hear in a, in a Monty Python skit or something. Where are you going? I'm going to the crags of the wild goats. No one will find me there. I'll be hidden quite surely. The crags of the wild goats. Crags of the wild goats was near the Dead Sea. It was in a, a portion not far from where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in Qumran. It was a place where there was lots of caves, lots of hiding places, lots of uh, uh, places where you could, could uh, uh, go undetected. So that's where David and his men were, the crags of the wild goats. If you remember last week we ended, we started with David at the very beginning, 1 Samuel 16, when, when God had had enough of Saul and enough of his disobedience, decided to anoint a new king. And so he, he told Samuel to go to Jesse's house and he was going to anoint one of Jesse's sons. And Jesse thought so ill of David, thought that he certainly couldn't be the one. He was the youngest, he was the runt. He didn't even call him in from the fields. And so Samuel looked at all of, of Jesse's sons and of course none of them were, were God's choice. And we looked at that really important verse from 1 Samuel 16 that says, the Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And the Lord finally, after they called, Jess, or called David in, uh, uh, the Lord looked at David's heart and knew that David, David, David was the one. And he was the one that was anointed to be king. The very next story in 1 Samuel 16 is David unexpectedly is chosen to go to the palace where Saul, the king that he's just been anointed to replace, is at. Because Saul was very troubled. Of course, he was troubled because he was going against God's law, God's will, God's way. And so he was very troubled, very miserable person. 
And so they thought that, that if someone came and played the harp, it might soothe Saul, and David was the choice. Unbeknownst to those doing the picking, that David had just been anointed king. I mean, so David goes into the palace, but rather than, than get ahead of God or, or, or stepping out of bounds and killing Saul right then and there, it could have been very easily justified. I've just been anointed king. Now I'm in the palace. God must want me to kill him. David knew that wasn't the plan. And so David just did as he was, was, was told to do, and he played the harp, and, and that was uh, the end of that story. The next story is the story in 1 Samuel 17 when David uh, has that unexpected victory, unexpected to everybody but David and God, I suppose, over Goliath. And so the, between 1 Samuel 18 and 1 Samuel 24 is where we're at. There's quite a lot of drama that goes in between those, those chapters that I just skipped over. It's almost uh, soap opera material because after David killed Goliath... Oh, Saul was not happy, not happy at all. In fact, the Bible says this in in 1 Samuel 18. When the men were returning home after David killed the Philistine, the woman came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs and timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his 10,000s. I don't know how they sang that song. I don't know what the tune was, but I know this. Saul was not happy. Verse 8, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. You don't want uh, uh, all the pretty girls to be singing about your rival and about how he's tougher, stronger, better than you. And so Saul kind of blew a gasket at all that and is consumed with jealousy, consumed with, with, with envy. And the guy, he, he has a gift to David for killing Goliath. You know that part of the story. He gave his daughter, Michelle, to David, to marry. So the guy that walked his daughter down the aisle to marry David is now chasing David, ready to kill him in the crags of the wild goats. That's where we're at. He was having, David was having some in-law troubles. You know, my youngest son, he got married last year at Thanksgiving time, if you remember. Uh, and Ben, Ben, um, I was a little worried about his in-laws because, well, I don't know if you know this about me. I'll just share a little insight. You probably don't even know this, but I'll tell you. Um, I tend to be a little bit of a Michigan fan. Um, I don't know. I know that comes as a shock to you. Um, I am wearing a, a yellow shirt and blue pants because, you know, they destroyed Wisconsin last night, which I imagine I may have to wear this again next Sunday after the Michigan State game, but that's a whole other story. So I tend to be, oh, stop it. So I tend to be a little bit of a Michigan fan, and Ben is a kind of a chip off the old block. I remember one time, uh, several years ago, a district superintendent in Ohio called me, and I wasn't home, but left a message on the answer machine about going to a church in Ohio, and, and Ben heard that message and came running to me and said, Dad, we can't go to Ohio. That's the worst state in the union. And I, and I said, I love you, kid. And so, so that's all background. Last... November, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, Ben is walking down the aisle uh, uh, with his bride, and her dad is an Ohio State graduate. I know, I know, it's doomed. 
What made it worse, I don't know what in the world he was thinking. They got married on the day of the game, the the Michigan-Ohio State game. And if you remember last year, I've tried to block that out of my memory banks. I didn't even want to talk to her stinking dad after that game. We were out, the the wedding was out in the middle of nowhere and I didn't have cell phone service and so I couldn't check my phone for the score. So I'm running back and forth to the car in the wedding venue, you know, to find out the score. It's terrible. I don't even know why I told you all that. Other than to say, David had his in-law troubles. That's the point, I think. Saul wanted David dead. It wasn't just merely, you know, didn't get along. He wanted him dead. And so this is what the Bible says happens next at, at, the, at the crags of the wild goats. Now, I got to offer this disclaimer before I read the rest of this passage. I've preached this passage exactly one time in my life years and years ago. And usually my wife, Carla, after, after a sermon... You know, she lies, and, and even when I preach a bad sermon, she says, oh, Rob, that was a wonderful sermon, even when we know it was terrible. She'll still say that. She'll usually say, you know, that was a really good sermon, blah, 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 except when I preached on this passage. And when I preached on this passage, she said, Rob, don't ever preach on that passage again. You have to promise me you'll never, ever, ever preach on that passage again. And so here I go. And so if it's, if it's really bad... Um, she'll be in the second service and maybe I'll have time to change it. I don't know. Verse three. And you'll know why I, she told me that in a second when I'm done reading this. You'll know why. So David is being chased. He's hiding in the crags of the wild goats. Saul is chasing him. He came, Saul came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. That's what she really doesn't like to hear. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you to do with him as you wish. And David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Oh, this is a difficult passage to preach in in polite company. Um, David and his men are hanging out in this cave and in comes Saul to, you know, take care of some personal private business. Clearly, there are no outhouses near the crags of the wild goats. There's no rest stops along the journey. And so he goes into the cave, and what he doesn't know is that David is in the next stall over. (laughs) I don't know how to talk about this in nice, polite company without being gross. When my boys were young, they had a little book called Everybody Poops. And... (laughs) It had, you know, giraffes and bears and mice and everybody, even kings, 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 I guess. That's the point. Now, I don't know about you. Again, I'm going to get in trouble again. I know what's going to happen. I can hear the dinner table conversation. I'm in a heightened awareness when I'm in this particular predicament, you know? And so it's no small feat that David would go up and cut the corner off of Saul's robe. If you know anything about boys, I had two boys. You know, they like laughing and giggling over such circumstances. And then David's men are hiding in the back of the cave. And, you know, it's, a, it's amazing that they weren't making, you know, kingly noises in the back and all the rest going on. And David went up and cut off the corner of his robe. And the point is, I, I think through all of this, there really is a point. David, David, as Saul is taking his time in the cave, David also has time to contemplate what he's going to do in that cave. 
See, David had his chance to kill Saul right then and there. And that's exactly what his men thought he would do. That's what they would do. They'd kill Saul just straight out. Saul is trying to kill them. Makes sense. They they, they might have even said that this is a God-ordained moment. God has has brought Saul right to you. That's what they said in verse 4. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. This situation looks like this is all from God. We're, 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 we're running from Saul, and God brought him right into the very cave that we're high. Of all these caves in the crags of the wild goats, Saul's right here. Now's your chance. Just because a situation looks like it's from God does not mean it is from God. Just because your closest friends think it's from God, it doesn't mean it is from God. Just because it seems like a golden opportunity, it doesn't mean it is a golden opportunity. Here's what David knew. David knew that Saul was God's anointed one. David knew that the Ten Commandments still were enforced that said, thou shalt not kill. David knew that Saul was jealous, Saul was envious, Saul was becoming a lousy, lousy king, but he was still the king. And David knew it. And it wasn't David's job, he understood, to take out the king. If he wanted to take out the king, he would have done it way back in 1 Samuel 16. When he had his chance then. When he was in the palace playing the harp. But but David didn't kill him in Samuel 16 when he had his chance. And he's not killing him now. Here's the truth. An opportunity isn't an opportunity if you have to compromise your integrity. Let me, hear, let me say that one more time because I really want you to get that. This is the whole sermon, really. An opportunity isn't an opportunity if you have to compromise your integrity. See, if you have to lie to, on a resume to get a job, it's not worth that job. If you have to lie to get a promotion at work, it's not worth that job. Several years ago in the church where I was pastoring, and during the, the, the economic crisis, we were going through, like everybody, some economic troubles and financial troubles at the church. And I got a phone call. And, and on the other line, end of the line was a guy saying that he wanted to give our church a lot of money. If you want to make your pastor very, very happy, you call me and tell, tell me that you want to give us a lot of money. And I was like, all right, this is awesome. You know, he wanted to give our church a lot of money. But there was a string attached. And the string was, he wanted us to funnel a large portion of that lot of money to a relative of his. And he wanted, uh, you know, to get, he, he, for our trouble of laundering his money um, and getting a, a tax receipt from a lot, a lot, a lot of money, he was going to, you know, give us a pretty good chunk as well. But he wanted a tax write-off for all of this money that, we were, that he was going to give funneling through us to his relative. Yeah, it's no, the IRS frowns on that if you don't know. And so I told him, you know, sorry, uh, we can't do that. And, you know, nobody, nobody would have known. Not one person. The IRS, I, I, every church I've pastored, I've never had the IRS uh, come in and look at our books. I suppose it's possible to happen, but it's never happened. Nobody would have known. Nobody, nobody would have known. But we would have known, wouldn't they? God certainly would have known. It, it, 
it isn't, you know, now I can't prove this. I can't prove it. But I wonder what would have happened. You know, God, at, by the end of that year, this was like in the fall, about this time of the year when I received that phone call. Our church here at that church uh, was similar to ours, but our church here was the end of, of February. And so, so uh, by the end of February, that financial crisis in the fall was already taken care of. And I wonder, you know, obviously uh, things happen the way they happen, but God supplied our needs. And I wonder if we would have compromised our integrity in the fall if God would have supplied our needs. Does that make sense? God might have just said, listen, you think you can figure it out? You go right ahead. You, you do it the, the, the shortcut way uh, instead of my way. An opportunity isn't an opportunity if we have to compromise our integrity. If you take the shortcut, you short-circuit God's long-term plans for you. God doesn't honor such behavior. David was just a few inches away. One jab of the knife and he could be king. If Saul is out of the picture, David's going to be king. All he has to do is stab him in the back. All of his men in the back of the cave saying, stab him in the back. He had every reason. He could have even justified it, I suppose, as saying, you know, in self-defense, Saul's trying to kill him for crying out loud. But I think had he gone and, and stabbed him in the back when Saul was relieving himself, I think every time David was relieving himself, he'd be looking over his shoulder. Who's going to be stabbing me in the back? You see, back in those days, the way you become king is got rid, usually is you get rid of the, the old king and you become king. But when you do that, you're always looking over your shoulder. It's the same with integrity. You compromise it, you'll constantly be looking over your shoulder. Instead of looking ahead, instead of becoming the person that God wants you to be, when you've compromised your integrity, you look back, you cover your tracks, you worry about who's paying attention, who's gaining on you. It's a lot of work to compromise your integrity. This is a defining moment in David's life. Just as when he was fighting Goliath, it took incredible courage to not kill Saul, took incredible integrity. One definition of integrity is, is who are you when no one is looking? No one was watching. David's in the middle of nowhere at the crags of the wild goats. You can't get any more nowhere than that. Who are you when no one else is looking? That's why it's hard. Uh, I've told men this, women this before as well. The farther you get from home, the harder it is to keep your integrity intact. That's why temptation is high on business trips or travel to foreign countries or when students go away to college for the first time. People feel less accountable, more invisible, makes you more vulnerable, susceptible to sin. David could have easily killed Saul at that moment. No one would have been the wiser. No one had to know, but God would have known. Every, every Monday, as I've told you in the past, I send out like a, I call it the Monday morning quarterback to our board. And um, it's just a recap of the, of the weekend's events and stuff that's going on and stuff that's coming up. And I usually put a little training or leadership piece or devotional or something like that in it. And so this week, this week, I asked them the question, knowing that I was going to be preaching on integrity today, to our board and pastors, I put this question. What if you lived in a way that, as, that you assumed whatever you did in private would be made public? What if you lived in a way that everything you did private 
would be made public. Now, I'm not just talking about having, you know, an affair or some newspaper-ridden scandal, you know, like that would make headlines. Not that, you know, obviously don't do that. But what if, what if you did less headline-worthy things that maybe were sinful or maybe were wrong or maybe you just didn't want people to know? Like the way you talk to your spouse and kids when no one else is around. Or that occasional glimpse of pornography. Or using illegal uh, drugs or alcohol to, to lessen some kind of pain or trouble. Or anything else that you don't want anybody else to know about. I asked him, what if you lived in a way that you assumed it's only a matter of time until everybody found out? Would you change the way you do things? A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. He pastors a church about our size. And, and he found out that one of his staff members just, just this fall was having an affair. And so he confronted him and he asked him the question. He said, is there anything that I need to know about? And this guy, this, this staff member at his church confessed to having a drinking problem. My friend didn't even know he had a drinking problem. He knew about the fair. He didn't know about the drinking problem. So this guy's spilling his guts about his drinking problem and he gets done and he says, is there anything else? Nope, nothing else. And so then he he gave him the evidence that someone had given him. And sure enough, I mean, there was no refuting it. The guy was living a double life. The, the, the question is, if what you're doing in private was made public, would you still do it? See, it's a question of integrity. That's our itty-bitty word for today. And there's a long list of former uh, pastors or leaders or people who have, have not placed any emphasis on integrity. And families have been ruined, and marriages have been ruined, and trust has been broken, and ministries have been shattered. When they they should have been asking themselves, if what I'm doing in private were becoming public, would I still do it? See, we need to check our actions, and check our behaviors, and check our attitudes. Your family, your church, God's kingdom is too important to throw away. Accountability isn't one of our itty-bitty words, but maybe it should be. You see, David's integrity should teach us a lesson. While while we're not going to have kings chasing us into the crags of the wild goats, we'll have opportunities in our life when we can compromise our integrity or we can stand on our integrity. Lord, you know our hearts. Help us to refuse to compromise even when others around us are compromising. Help us to refuse to fall into the trap of taking a shortcut when we know you've got a better way. Help us to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Help us to be like David and stand firm on what we know. Help us to be the people who can live into that song. I'd rather have Jesus than all of that other stuff. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to stand on the truth. I'm going to be your man, your woman, your, your teenager, your child. We're going to be for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. May we leave this place ready to serve you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.